Welcome, believers all over the world, to the Daryl Bennett Believers Podcast, where we share biblical, godly wisdom from the Word on work, wealth, and worth to help you. Today, I discuss one of my favorite topics, the history of money. I focus on the history of money in America before the Civil War. The period I start with is the 1600s in America before the advent of paper money. And I bring us all the way to the Civil War. How money played a part at every stage from the pre-colonial period to the colonial and expansion period to the Revolutionary War, all the way to the beginning driving factors of America as we know it. If you want to know and master your future, you got to know your past. This is the history of money in America before the Civil War. You don't want to miss this. Tune in. Picking up now, 1775. I already told you that the first unified currency, check this out, in America, the continental dollar was created, designed, and developed solely and exclusively to fund a war, the Revolutionary War. You cannot go to war without money. Remember how I told you in the first part of the first module that people were transacting in European banknotes, minted coins, gold, silver, agriculture, like rice and um, uh, 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 tobacco, uh, as well as tribal methods like notches and sticks to convey wealth. I told you that. Well, 1775, they issued the continental dollar. When I say they, the colonial powers that had decided that they were going to fight against Britain. You know, you're going to fight, you need money. They issued this currency. By the end of that year, 75% of currency in America was paper money. In the excuse me, in the colonies was paper money. Check that out. Check how quickly that happened. Why? Well, probably partly because it was now a unified currency. But however, it was unified, but not exclusive. What does that mean? That means that anybody could issue their currency. And many folks did. Banks, churches, check this out, y'all. Even churches issued their own currency. Now, I want to take you from 1787 to about 1830. Before we get there, really quickly, the continental dollar funded the Revolutionary War. The continental dollar didn't make it past 1781. By 1781, it was literally worthless. It was never on any gold standard. It was never on anything because it just was worthless from the beginning. But, but the value was inflated or deflated based on what the colonial power said. And based on, excuse me, I misspoke. It was on the gold standard for a second. Based on, based on other countries also getting involved. There was a period of time where the French the French during the Revolutionary War helped 
fund the American side. So much so that it, de it increased French debt by like 50 some percent, which is why they king Louis XVI ended up losing his head, among other things. It didn't help that his wife said, let him eat cake while people were out there rioting. So you had that happening. The French monies allowed this continental dollar, which really didn't have much worth to begin with. Y'all tracking with me, listen to me. It allowed that continental dollar to be inflated in value enough for them to be able to fund the war the way that the war needed to be funded. When I say them, the American side, because there was a point in time, and you know, they never teach this because they always just teach war from the fact of militaries and this person fought this battle. I'm here to tell you, there was a question at some point whether or not Washington, General Washington at the time, whether his armies would even be able to continue because they, they, there wasn't money. Remember, for an army to continue, they had to pay for supplies, they had to pay for food, they had to pay for all the things that it would take to fund it. Britain, being an empire, was able to pull resources from all of their different regions. Yes, the colonies made them a lot of money, but even with the colonies of America rebelling, they had colonies all over the world and enough resources that they could pull, pull, excuse, pull, <laughs> y'all work with me, my Baltimore accent, but you get what I mean, bringing them together to be able to redivert them to fight this war. So you see how other colonies, because I'm going to bring you to how money interplays with war, interplays with policy. Even as far back as the 1700s, you see this pattern of some colonies paying for wars for an empire to keep other colonies because it wasn't mainland England that was fighting, that was paying for the upkeep of Britain's side. It was their empire, their colonies, other places that were also probably feeling the same struggle, but the American colonies rose up. And the American colonies didn't have an empire to pull resources from, but there were a lot of resources in the land that they were able to use to sell to other countries in order to be able to get money. Because of course, Britain iced them out and they were able to transact with countries like France, we talked about, to be able to just get an infusion of capital in the banking system. So what you should know is that there was a period of time where General Washington's army needed about 5 million continental dollars to move further. Excuse me, 5 million today dollars. I don't know what it would have been in continental dollars. And it took that infusion of capital from the French government. And that's what allowed the continental dollar to retain its value for the continental government to be able to purchase the supplies that the generals needed, the food that it needed to continue the campaign for war. You know history. The Revolutionary War was won. Britain had to, they didn't move off of the continent. They just moved further up into, they were already in Canada, but just moved their border back. The colonies of America were completely free of British direct influence 
<laughs> France already told you their economy almost went bankrupt because the king, and you might ask, well, why would the king infuse capital almost bankrupt what he, you know, his, his country? And that's a whole nother podcast to get into that. But just so you know, France and, and England have had problems over a long period of time. And this was, of course, 1700s, pre-Napoleonic era. This was the period of time when France and England were at their most hated period at odds with each other. So the French, yeah, they were willing to spend that amount of money just to, uh, just to be able to see the British defeated, which they were, which the British were, which also allowed the French to be able to be more dominant in Europe. Because as you see, Louis lost his head, <laughs> but Napoleon took France and was able to create an entire empire out of Europe, right from France. And I believe a lot of that had to do with the fact, you see how it's all connected? A lot of that had to do with the fact that Britain's influence had waned so much in Europe partly because of all of these uprisings, America, no less. All right, so I don't want to get too far into that. Bring you back. Now we're, let's take you to 1790, 1790 here in America. You got banks, churches. I said it right. Yeah, churches were issuing their own currency. How did this work? Let me tell you how it worked. The, the, a person would go to a bank. Let me put the church aside for a second. A person will go to a bank and say, we want you to hold our money, much like it would be today. The, the thing was, though, the bank was under no compulsion to issue a person money that was, so let me say it differently. The bank would issue their own currency to the person. So let's take Joe. Joe comes with $1,000 worth of, of gold coin to the bank. The bank gives Joe, let's say it's bank A, bank A notes, which of course Joe can bring back to get that gold there. Now, what can, can he take up to another bank? Well, maybe if he's in relationship, if that bank's in relationship, but you see the problem where now the bank has their own currency, Churches got in on it because they said, hey, who's better to hold your money? <laughs> the banks will rob you, but the churches won't. So you have churches that held money and they issued their own currency. And then for the heck of it, you just have people and organizations that would just issue currency. I mean, look, I'm bringing you to where we are today, where the same sort of thing has happened. It's just happened digitally. The problem with that is all of these different currencies and no regulation. 1849 really changed the landscape of America because that was the gold rush in California. This is the first time that we see, <laughs> check this out, more gold leading to more problems. More money, more problems. Can you believe it? Yes, it's true. We were on the gold standard. What does that mean? That means that American money, the American money at the time, was still being backed by gold and silver, or gold, excuse me, not gold and silver, gold, it was backed by gold. This, 
specie, gold. Now, what that means is that banknotes had to match the amount of gold. That's fine. The problem comes, because I want to I want to fast track this because people say, well, we got off the gold standard. Why don't we go back? I'm going to tell you part of the reason why we got off the gold standard. And all you're getting, get understanding. The gold rush of 1849 happens. California produced so much gold in some places, inflation was 300%. What does that mean? Prices tripled in some places in America. By 1849, the country had spread. I didn't, I mean, I don't have time to get into everything I want to get into, but the, the, the expansion of America happened from 13 colonies, which is really like a slither of what we call the East Coast of America today, to the Pacific Ocean. And that happened in about 60 years. That also is what fast-tracked the question of slavery, by the way. Had America stayed the 13 colonies, slavery probably would have remained in place another 100 years. But the expansion of every state, side note here, and I, I share this in another podcast where I talk about the history the history of transatlantic slavery. Um, I really break down how when new states came in, that's where the question of slavery was revisited each and every time, each and every time, each and every time. And it really led to a, to a, a head. So back to the gold rush in California. All of these people are coming to California. Gold is being uh, found at astronomical rates. The nation is becoming extremely wealthy. People are becoming extremely wealthy. It's the first time you start really hearing the word millionaire being thrown around in America. The problem is this. Too much gold and not enough new products. Since America was on the gold standard, what does that mean? Prices go down. That's actually worse than inflation. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. For a country's long-term success, that does not work. So there obviously became a lot of issues behind that. By 1861-ish, things had come to a head again because one, there's war. That was the first issue, there was war. Uh, meaning, you know, the South was at odds with the North. Quick side note here, do you notice in all of the times that you hear people teach about the Civil War, North versus South, you almost never hear about the Battle of the Currencies. Do you notice that? I mean, because what do you think? You don't think the South was using the same currency that the North was using. But isn't it interesting that something as important as currency, as important as how they funded the war, never even really gets talked about? Well, come here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to teach you all about it. That's why I'm here. So 1862, Lincoln made a powerful move. Lincoln said, look, we need money and I can't do it by remaining on the gold standard. So Abraham Lincoln becomes the first president to begin what really some say is the beginning of a steep slide for America's monetary policy. In the throes of the Civil War, needing money, needing money, much like General Washington needed money 100 years before. He took us off of the gold standard and moved us onto what we have today, the fiat standard. Stick with me. We went back on the gold standard and came back off. Let me get you there. But we are still on what we were on before. 
which is the, excuse me, what Abraham Lincoln introduced was the fiat standard. Fiat is Latin for determination by authority. I'm going to tell you what that means in really nice words. Fiat currency means that it has, by it, the currency itself has the authority determined by what the government says, in this case, the authorizing body. So whereas pre-1862 monies that were issued in America were backed by gold, after 1862, it became that monies issued by America were backed by paper that the government just said was backed by its own value. It's $100, so the government says it's 100 I missed an important step. Remember when I told you about how the, the banks would issue their own currency and the churches would issue their own currency? Let me show you the workflow really quickly. This is how it worked. The government would receive, well, actually, no, 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 no. Let me not take you there because that's going to that's gonna take you somewhere else. Stay tuned with me for that. It's so much to give you. All right, let me bring you to 1863, National Bank Act. You need to know about this. You need to know about the, the National Bank Act. The National Bank Act was really important because it's the first uniform, this is under President uh, Lincoln, by the way. It is the first uniform, check this out, uniform monetary system in America. And you might be saying, no, Daryl, you said that before with the continental dollar, but stick with me. That is now exclusive. Unlike the continental dollar, where the banks could issue their own currency and did, churches could issue their own currency and did, the Bank Act, the National Bank Act of 1863 changed all of that, and it's never been reversed. The National Bank Act of 1863 was the last time in America you could have paper money, paper currency that was recognized by any institution as currency that was printed in America. After that, it's illegal. It's almost hard for us to imagine in America a time where you're like, oh, you could just print your own currency. And from that point on, the American banks, and it changed who printed it for the American banks. I'll take you there because we're going to end here with this. But the first dollar, as it were, is the greenback. It's called green because the back of it was green. The South would not have used the same dollar. They had their own what they call Confederate dollars. So you see, again, the battle of the currencies. Throughout the Civil War, there was a battle over currencies. Now imagine this. If you are in the South, overnight, all of the wealth that you held in paper currency from the North would have really been worthless in the South because the South said, we're not going to redeem it. Maybe certain places would. So I want you to see how war and currency and money, they all interplayed at every stage in America. Next, I'm going to bring you to Civil War, post-Civil War, 
all the way through what they call the long depression. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about reconstruction. We have to talk about how silver played a part in all of this. And I'm going to bring you to what some people said was one of the worst decisions ever made by an American president. It was made, I think they said it was the day before Christmas, 1913, the Federal Reserve Act. I'm going to take you from 1863-ish to the Federal Reserve Act. Stay tuned. This is the history of money. <laughs> 